The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Hello. All right. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Um, Well, good afternoon. I think we may still have a few people trickle in, but I'm going to go ahead and um, get started here. So if you guys will just um, pray with me and then we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you for this weekend and this opportunity to just get away and to... um, reorient ourselves based on your word and just to focus on your steadfast love and mercy and I pray Lord that you would guide um, my words in this time I pray that you would challenge us in um, the way that we use our gifts that you've given us in a way that serves others in our homes it's in Christ's name we pray amen Um, well I already told you the story of accidentally feeding my husband grease Um, and so I've already used that one up and I don't have another another funny story to get started so we are just going to dive in so every um, every home is centered on something right it might be comfort it might be entertainment it might be status food sports children privacy, um, education, like every home has a focus. And so the question is, what is a Christ-centered home? And at the very simplest, I think it is a place where the rhythm and the flow of the household is focused on exalting Christ and loving others. Um, When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, he replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Matthew twenty-two, thirty-six. 36. Um, so loving God and loving others. Those should be the guiding principles in our home. Just got to get my mic fixed. Hold on. Um, if we have tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord, then... A Christ-centered home has far less to do with the physical structure of our house and has way more to do with um, the atmosphere within the home. Our, place, our home should be a place that we invite others to come and taste and see the goodness of the Lord. It should be a place where joy and thanksgiving abound in response to the grace and love that God has extended to us. So if you think for a minute about a physical home, and you think about the purposes that it serves, right? As there's, it's a place of rest, right? It's where people sleep at night. They sleep and rest in, in their homes. It's a place of nourishment. It's a place where they eat meals. It's a place of sanctuary and refuge. It's a break from whatever you leave the house each day to go do. That's the place where you come back as sanctuary and refuge. It offers protection, right? The, you are protected against the temperatures and the thunderstorms and the elements and there's a protection and a barrier against 
wildlife or intruders or whatever, there's a protection that's formed within your home. And it's a place of belonging. Um, It's a way that we group people together and they live together and share a home together, whether it's roommates or a married couple or a family with children or grandparents, right? It's, It's a place of belonging. And so spiritually, I think we see a lot of those same parallels in the role for our home. Um, our home should be a place of rest, right? There's a pattern of hard work and rest, not laziness, rest, and not working 24-7 where we're denying um, our God-given need for rest, but just a, just a pattern of hard work and rest, and then also um, a place of rest spiritually, where we rest in God's word, where we rest in the fellowship of believers. It should be a peaceful place and a, peace, a place of rest. Second, the idea of a sanctuary or a refuge, right? This world bombards us all the time with a nonstop stream of lies and temptations and sensuality and fears. And when we step in our homes or when people step in our homes, we want them as much as possible to be a place of refuge, right? For, for just, for example, one example of this might be like if you think about having um, daughters and that they are bombarded with like this really specific centralized image of what beauty is supposed to be. And they get blasted with that all the time. Well, in your home, there should be reprieve from that. They shouldn't have to battle that inside the walls of your home. So as much as you can... Um, make it a place of refuge from the, the temptations and lies and battles of this world, that is a great thing to be able to do. And that kind of ties into the next one, the idea of protection, right? Our walls of our house and um, our roof over our head protect us from what's outside of it, but not if we leave the windows open in a blizzard, right? Not if we leave the door swung wide open in the middle of the night inviting intruders. And so we do need to take seriously um, guarding what comes into our home, particularly uh, in the form of media, right? Books, movies, music, radio programs, whatever it is, um, social media. Like, we need to be on guard about what we let into our home. What we watch matters. What we listen to matters. Um, And how much of our day is devoted to entertainment matters. This is one where we can't just go with the flow on it, right? We have to swim upstream and take a firm position or or we can guarantee that the approach will not be Christ-centered. In this area, I think we have to guard against... um, Letting the fact that something's common make us complacent towards it. So it's very common for uh, younger and younger kids to have their own devices with access to the Internet. But that does not mean we can become complacent towards it. There's just staggering statistics right now that, like, the average age to see porn for the first time is 11 years old. That's the average, which means there's kids much younger than that that are being exposed to pornography at really young ages. And uh, um, this one blew me away. It said upwards of 90% of kids will see some 
type of pornographic image before they leave home. 90%, that's humongous. That means within the house of believers and parents that are trying to be diligent, this is happening. And you guys know it's so easy because they don't have to be trying to find it. They mistype a Google search or they, you know, like search something like Hawaii and now there's girls in bathing suits. And like we have to be so diligent in protecting what comes into our home. And, and be wise with devices and set guidelines and check histories and have preemptive conversations up front about why this is important and like not let them be um, just kind of blindsided. Like they, as cynical as it sounds or whatever, like they need to know that it's not just a neutral ground, right? That there's people out there trying to prey on them. And so it's a big deal. We want to protect our homes. And on that note, it's not only pornography, right? There's, it's just the constant in-stream of, of whatever they're taking in. If it is not aligned with scripture, it doesn't have to be something so dramatically offensive, but it may be small things that are undermining the truth of God's word. And if we're not careful in monitoring what is being put into their minds or into our own minds, you know, it's not just our kids, then, um, then that can undermine the truth of God's word. Which that leads into our next one, right? A place of nourishment. This is where people eat meals and are nourished. So here, you know, the obvious one is just an intentional feasting on the word of God in our home. That that is something that we come together and enjoy and delight in and take in together. And Little talked a lot about this this morning, about the discipline of study and, um, and being in the Word, so I'm not going to spend a lot of extra time on that one. But the, okay, then the last one is, I'm sorry, belonging. This is a really beautiful point, I think, when you think about it, because we were once enemies and aliens to God, and then God adopted us as sons and daughters, and he brought us into his household, And so our house should be a place of belonging, a place for fellowship of believers, um, sharing in his grace and mercy, and a place where neighbors and strangers are welcomed and embraced in that same way that God embraced us when we were strangers and aliens to him. Um, In scripture, this idea of creating a place of belonging is called hospitality. And Little talked about this this morning also, but I'm going to revisit some of these ideas Um, hospitality throughout the New Testament believers are commanded to be hospitable even to show hospitality without grumbling and this is a quality of a Christian home that is for every age and stage of life right Um, so in the New Testament hospitality is translated from a Greek word that literally means love for stranger and so I want to take a second and um See if we can kind of clarify the idea of hospitality and push aside some ideas that maybe are more cultural ideas of hospitality and not as much biblical ideas of hospitality. So for the sake of this session, I'm going to define the cultural side of it as entertaining and the biblical side as hospitality, but I'm not saying that entertaining is bad. Just, um, just, just to clarify two different categories. So... The way I was thinking about it is like this, like entertaining is about putting on a show, 
right? It's rolling your stuff and your talents into this big Instagram-worthy display, and everybody oohs and ahs and leaves impressed with how great you are. And we have to get this idea out of our mind that this is what hospitality is. One, because I think it needlessly intimidates some of us to showing hospitality because we have expectations on ourselves of it has to be this big fanfare and everything's got to be perfect and I don't have the right trays and, you know, I don't, didn't go shop at Magnolia Farms or whatever. And um, is that what it's called? I love them, by the way. But I'm saying you don't have to have that in order to show hospitality. But um, hospitality versus entertaining, hospitality is, is loving and serving others. It's making others welcome in your home. It's utilizing your possessions and your giftings to minister to the needs of others. It doesn't have to be fancy or impressive, and it's much less self-centered and much more guest-centered. The end goal is not to impress The end goal is to serve others and to point to Jesus. So entertainment can be puffed up, and hospitality is humble. And entertainment is a lot of smoke and mirrors, and everything looks perfect, and and hospitality is a lot more about real life, right? Folding people into your home and into real life. So just a time out to say there that, like, I know that there are some people that are super gifted in, like, making these beautiful just like that are good they love to cook and they want to share that and they can cook really well and so I'm not saying that like if you make fantastic birthday cakes then you are being prideful or something like that I'm just saying the heart behind it is very different these things may look similar on the surface in some cases but the heart behind it is 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 a completely different story Um, Rosaria Butterfield said, our homes are the bridge between the church and the world, which I think is a really beautiful picture. Um, We must think of our homes as hospitals, embassies, and incubators, not castles, fortresses, or museums. I love that image. We can bandage up those who are brokenhearted. We can be ambassadors for Christ to those who are lost, and we can protect and nourish vulnerable young lives as they grow. Um, Christ-centered homes shouldn't be static and lifeless. They should be dynamic and life-giving. So what does this look like practically? How do we open our homes to others um, to exalt Christ and serve, serve people's needs? I think there's two major categories that we have here, right? The first call in Scripture, a lot of it is to show hospitality to the saints, okay? To, to minister to the people within your church. So Romans 12, 13 says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So we should seek out the fellowship of believers in our home and look to serve their needs. So you can invite someone from your church over for coffee or for supper or get to know somebody if you see somebody you haven't seen before in your church um, and then just begin to think really intentionally about this and little little tapped on this this morning right that that if you really study and think about the needs of other people um, maybe you'll see a need that you're able to fulfill so maybe there is like an overtired overwhelmed young mom in your church and she's right in the throes of raising a toddler and she could really just use some grown-up conversation 
and just a change of scenery, right? Like being in a different place, and that would be a great relief to her, and you can offer that, you know, just by inviting her to your home. Or maybe she's, maybe same lady, maybe she's far from extended family, and she could really use like an honorary grandma or an honorary aunt to just, to just be part of their life and um, minister to them. Or maybe there's a college student in your congregation that's far from home and could just really use a home-cooked meal or a free washer and dryer for the evening and just little small things. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be extravagant. But if you can say, hey, do you need to come do your wash at my house? And it's a great way to serve the needs of others. Um, Some of them are more complex than that, right? Like sometimes we are walking through hard seasons with other people. Um, Maybe there's someone in your church sorting out the aftermath of her husband's infidelity and abandonment. How are you going to walk through that with her? How can you serve her and minister to her? Maybe there's a young believer that's trying to walk a life free from addiction. How are you going to uphold them? And what can you do to help her walk in victory, right? We, we are called to contribute to the needs of the saints. And in order to do, to do that, we have to know the needs of the saints, which means pushing into those relationships beyond surface level and niceties and, and all that and really digging in and getting to know people and getting to know what their needs are. So that's part one of like the picture of ministering to the church, but then we also have this idea of welcoming in unbelievers so they can taste and see of the goodness of the Lord. So inviting people for a meal can sound really intimidating, um, especially if you don't know them very well. But there is something that's really beautiful about sharing the table with somebody. Um, For a meal or even just dessert and coffee, uh, I think I was when I was preparing for this, I read some quote by John Piper that said, all you need is popcorn kernels, cooking oil, paper plates, and some water. It's a cheap, easy you've got something to offer and now, you know, that's hospitality. You can share and fellowship with other people. Um, But practically with this, with as far as reaching unbelievers, maybe you extend an invitation to a neighbor family to come to a child's birthday party or maybe you host a small cookout for some coworkers or bake cookies for the next holiday and deliver them around your neighborhood and just doing something to open up these relationships and it can be little small acts that show that you care for their needs or that you are willing to listen when they talk that can open up these relationships in huge ways and um and the other idea is like a lot of us and a lot of you are probably involved in some formal outreach or ministry opportunities whether it's a you know volunteering at a food pantry or a pregnancy center or a tutoring program or whatever it is, if you have more formal opportunities, those are good places to make relationships and push deeper in those where you can continue that relationship in your home, Um, maybe crossing paths with people that you wouldn't otherwise cross paths with. So, and, and my encouragement to you would be to just to look for and pray, pray for opportunities to serve. Like, pray that the Lord would make those clear to you and then, um, and then follow up on that. And we've lived in our house for like for almost five years now. And we've tried to build these relationships with neighbors. And like just in the past um, few months, we've had like some really good 
um, progress in those relationships. So sometimes it takes a lot of time for people to build trust with you and to really believe that like you really are just caring for their needs. So don't grow weary in doing good, right? Galatians 6, 9 tells us that. Um, I do want to address some of the excuses that we make for ourselves about not being hospitable, okay? One is money, right? We, we think, I don't have the money to feed all those extra people, and that was the John Piper idea of like, hey, make some popcorn. It's cheap. It's easy. Um, that's just reminding the idea that it does not have to be extra- extravagant. I talked to my friend um, earlier this week that is serving overseas right now, and I was asking her because she's told me so many stories before about people showing just tremendous hospitality um, to them when they have very little. And so I was like, tell me these stories again. Tell me these stories. I need to hear them. And she was telling me this one story about um, she worked in a hospital, and there was twin babies born, and, and they needed intensive care, and they recovered and they did you know they thrived and they went home but she would go to their home to to check on them and see their progress and she said literally the only piece of furniture that they had in their whole house was one pillow for like resting your knees on one pillow and she said and every time I walked I don't know why it got me who um every time I walked in that house they offered it to me to rest my knees on and just this this breaking free of this idea of like these expectations of what hospitality has to look like. It's, it's literally just taking the gifts of the things that you have and the resources and gifts and talents and serving the needs of other people. So, so money or um, anything like that should not be a barrier to our hospitality. The next one is time. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. Um, this may be a true statement. I think so many of us find ourselves in this position where it's like, we're adding commitments and adding commitments, and all of a sudden, every calendar day has like five different commitments on it, and there are no free blocks when you look at that calendar. And um, if this is true, then I have a simple solution for you clean your closet. Now, bear with me, because this happened last, last fall or the end of the last summer. I was cleaning out a hallway closet, and I was just sorting through stuff, getting rid of what didn't need to still be there, paring down, condensing, organizing, and at the end of it all, I ended up with an empty shelf on the top, and I was like so excited because I always want an empty shelf because inevitably something comes in, there's like a new birthday present, or there's something that needs a home, and you're like, where am I going to put this? And so there's this empty shelf, and it was, it was great, and the Lord used it um, in my life to, like, think about my schedule. And I thought, okay, if I have every shelf filled up to the max, there is no room for anything else. And those things that come in, when there's no shelf, you know what happens? They get pushed to the side, tucked under here, you know, all mixed up and messed up with other stuff that's random, and you don't find it, you don't use it. And so the same idea, like if I have all my schedule booked up with formal commitments, there's no room for the informal ones. And so much of ministry happens in the informal, in the day-to-day, in the unplanned. And we have to turn those needs away. Like a neighbor has a car broke down and needs a ride, but we're like, oh, sorry, I can't, I've got this. And then like every day, those, every time those needs come up, we're always having to say, sorry, I can't, sorry, I can't, sorry, I can't. 
and we miss out on these huge opportunities to minister. And so I'll challenge you to take a really good look at your schedule, whether it's sports commitments and um, volunteer opportunities, church activities, all these things that can be really good, but really pray over and think about how much time is being devoted to different areas of your life, and if it is all serving the purpose to exalt God and serve the needs of others in the best way possible, because even if you think about that, we are commanded to show hospitality. If our schedules are so busy that we have no room to show hospitality, then we're not even walking in obedience to the Lord's commands. So, um, you know, and I think this can be carried over also for just the idea of not crowding out other things that are central to that core of exalting Christ, right? When we get so busy, it's easy to let the core things get pushed to the side, whether that's spending time in the Word together as a family, praying together before you start your day, whatever it is. When we get so busy and task-oriented, it's easy to let those things fall to the wayside. Um, Another objection, I think, or you know, it's not even an excuse, I think, as much as a battle that some of us will deal with is, like, I don't, I don't want to cheat my kids. Like, I'm already really busy. I can't just have people in my home. Like, that. they need my attention, too. And this is true, so I want to be careful with how we discuss this. But one, one point would be go back to the clean the closet idea, block out some extra time where that's family time, and you still have time for this. And the other idea is just folding people in. I think that that idea of entertainment, when we want everything to be picture perfect and smoke and mirrors, is the kind of hospitality that um, tempts us to push our kids to the side and be like, okay, go play over there, don't mess this up. You know, in like when, when hospitality should just be folding people into our life, and um, that, that idea of folding people in, really benefits everybody. You know, your kids get to see the gospel played out, and um, your guests benefit from joining in real life with you. I know that sometimes, um, before I was married, if I would go hang out at Brody and Little's house, and sometimes there would be like a big mountain of laundry that had to be done, and just sitting there folding laundry, like, with Little, felt so much more like I was part of their family than if it was like, shove that all aside, okay, come in, sit down, you know, and like pretend like that life isn't going on. Like that was so welcoming to me that she didn't set aside everything and freeze it and like, we can't let people know we live here kind of <laughs> idea. And just like fold in, go with your life. And then that, that I think benefits so well. If you really have a heart where like the rhythm and flow of your house is about exalting Christ and serving the needs of others, and then you fold people into that, that's a huge testimony to the Lord without really a whole lot of effort. So like Little mentioned this morning, like you've got late night, late evening visitors, and it's time for family devotion. You do your family devotion, and they're witness to that, you know. Um, So... So this happened to me the other day, and we have to be conscious of it. We were getting ready. It was Good Friday, and we had our little thing planned out that we were going to do, and it was like a shoebox <laughs> that we'd cut a hole out of. That was going to be the grave, and we had some stick crosses, and we were planning out this whole thing, and our neighbor's daughter came and knocked on the door and wanted to play with the kids. And, like, 
I turned around, like literally prepared to say to this little girl, I'm sorry, they can't play right now. And it was like the Lord stopped up my mouth and was like, this is the opportunity right here. Like, don't fold her in. Don't push her out. And so we did. We were like, we just moved our devotion outside and we're like, all right, you know, come hear this story with us. And so we talked it through with, with her just like we would have if she wasn't there. And then we invited her, hey, come back down on Sunday morning. We'll finish the story, you know. And so just looking for those opportunities and being praying for them, eyes open for them, so that we take those opportunities to fold people in. Now, like I said, I want to be careful with it because it doesn't mean that you never block off family time, right? You have to um, because your spouse and your little people living in your house all have really very real needs too. And a lot of those require consistent quality time to meet those needs. Um, I like this quote. I like this quote by Edith Schaefer in her book, What is a Family? And she described family as a door with hinges and a lock. She said that the hinges should be well-oiled to wing the door open during certain times, but the lock should be firm enough to let people know that family needs to be alone part of the time just to be a family. If a family is really to be shared, then there needs to be something to share. So there does have to be intentional time inward to your family. Um, and there isn't a specific formula. You know, I think it looks different, and it really takes us just praying and being led by the Spirit and um, trusting God to give us wisdom of what that balance looks like because just with people's different temperaments, um, your children's different temperaments, what stage of life you're in, if you're married with no kids or if you've got little kids, teenagers, all those things are going to create different dynamics as far as what that balance needs to look like. Um, but I will say that the idea of lock the door, set aside family time, that we do need to make sure that when we do that, that we truly set aside family time and realize the danger that it's possible to be home and not be present. Okay, like if we're going to have intentional family time, we need to be engaged and in with them. And that means putting down devices, leaving phones in the other room, um, and then looking for quality time with your spouse and with your kids. And, and that's a, it's almost like a continuation of the same idea of hospitality, right, where you're intentionally looking for their needs to serve them and to fulfill those needs. Um, so some days that may mean that they just, their need may be that they just need to enjoy your presence, right? They may need you to set down the to-do list for 30 minutes and just, be face-to-face -face and enjoy what they enjoy and just be there. It's okay, like building blocks with them or whatever the, the thing seems is so small, but playing with your kids builds so much trust and depth to their relationship. Um, another crucial time in our house is right before bed. And this is something that we have guarded a lot, that pretty much no matter what else happens in the day, this time is is... You cannot touch this time, okay? And we've done this before with people in our house and said, excuse me, and go put the kids to bed. We'll be back. Um, and laying in bed, we always, we, we have our kind of routine of like a family devotion time. Then we have girls in one room, the boy in the other room, and we tag team who has which room. And we lay in bed and we read a book. And then we just lay with them. And it's, it seems like, 
you know, it'd be so easy to just say, uh, just go to sleep, you know, this is it, good night, bye. And I know everybody has to do things different, but there's something about laying in bed in a quiet house and it's dark and calm that just really seems to disarm them. And there's this comfort of being snuggled beside you, but they're staring at the ceiling and not like it's not this, I don't know, there's something of a relaxed thing that just happens. And I feel like so many of these deep conversations and heart-to-hearts that we've had have happened laying beside one of my kids in their bed. And sometimes it's just random thoughts, right? I was thinking about Little when she said this morning that when she first gets alone, like first her brain is just spinning like all these thoughts before she can calm. And I feel like that happens with our kids too. Like at first they're just like, just chatting and they have your undivided attention and there's no distractions for them. And then slowly it just kind of winds down and all of a sudden there's been like, hey mom, I've been thinking about this, you know, maybe something they've been scared to ask about or scared to talk about. There's been confessions in those moments of like, I really need to tell you this happened. But there's something about that quiet, calm moment that gives this perfect opportunity for that, where if it's like, busy, 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 go to bed, then there's no, you know, even, even just the absence of like having all your siblings listening in. Um, so we really value that time a lot. And I think it's really important, if you, even if you're not doing that at bedtime, to find something, some time where you can really get that calm, quiet, time where they have an opportunity to have real conversation with you. Um, So this is obviously not an exhaustive list, and the idea of creating a Christ-centered home could go in so many directions, right? You could focus all about parenting, all about marriage, all about finances, and there's so many different things encompassed in this idea of a household. But I would challenge you to think about... um, as you think about the finances and time and energy and resources and gifts and talents and your marriage and parenting, all these things that can be wrapped up in it, to really think and to pray, like, is, is the heartbeat of my home one that exalts Christ and serves others? Like, that should be the heartbeat of our home. And, and I think if we will evaluate all of those things in light of that, like the Lord will lead and guide us into what that should look like for our specific family. Um, so I will close us in prayer and then uh, y'all are free to go. Lord Jesus, thank you again for this time. Thank you for inviting us into your household, Lord. Help us to bend um, the grace and mercy and love that you've shown us to the people in our homes and to the people Um, outside of our homes. Help us to invite them in and welcome them into our house. And and we pray that through those opportunities, they would see and know you and we would welcome them into your household as well. I pray for the rest of this day, Lord, that it be a day of rest and peace and nourishment for these women and just being away from the distractions, away from the commitments, that they would be able to just sit still and quiet before you and hear from you and, um, and, and then just enjoy Enjoy the outside, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy your creation, um, and enjoy being in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.